Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen. I'm the president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofit organizations around the country, primarily in the areas of board excellence, strategy, and organizational development. I want to welcome everybody back to the podcast. We've had several episodes back to back lately, um, and this is going to be another uh, excellent one. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, our guest is Allison Eric Bernstein. Um, Allison is a communications professional, and today's topic we're going to be talking about advancing thought leadership for your nonprofit. And there is no better expert out there than Allison to be joining us. Allison, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Gregory. Allison, tell us a little bit about your background. You have a fascinating background, and I, I think people are really going to be interested in hearing about it. Sure. So uh, I come to the nonprofit world really from politics and government, um, a lot of which is mission driven in um, some overlapping ways, which is kind of how I ended up in the nonprofit world. But yeah, I came up through political campaigns in my home state of Virginia and in New England, where I went to college and lived for a long time uh, prior to moving to Illinois, where I am now. Um, so I've worked on a bunch of different statewide campaigns, um, governor's races, Senate races, uh, smattering of other things here and there. Um, I also worked in the Obama administration at the State Department and on Capitol Hill during my time in DC. Um, my first introduction to the nonprofit world was at a microfinance organization called Axiom, which was based in Boston. Um, and I also worked at Hilltop Public Solutions in Boston uh, in my time there, which was a political consulting firm. And those two experiences were really formative in getting me to what I do now. Um, at Hilltop, I learned how to do client-based work, um, mostly for political clients, but really got this sense of how fulfilling it can be to do a lot of different projects for a lot of different people and a lot of different types of organizations and really get to bring a specific skill set to bear in a lot of different contexts. Uh, and at Axion, I got to experience kind of longer term mission driven work firsthand, um, in that case through through their microfinance banks and their financial inclusion work, um, but, but really did love the variety that you get in client based um, jobs and opportunities. Um, so that really led to what I do now, which is independently consulting for nonprofits of really all shapes and sizes and topics um, on their strategic communications and messaging. Um, my, my work in campaigns and government was primarily as a speechwriter and a communication specialist. So I, I really love getting to bring my language skills and, and rhetoric to executive communications. I think you're right. I think there's a lot of overlap between, you know, the political world, government, um, and then also nonprofits, particularly when it comes to communicating, because, you know, the, the similarity, the linkage that I see is both are communicating about critical challenges that affect communities as a whole. So while the perspective may be different, while the goals may be different of a political candidate versus a nonprofit organization, a lot of times you're communicating about the same challenging issues that in some way in many ways can be polarizing yeah absolutely now tell us about your company i i am not even going to try and pronounce the name i'm going to let you pronounce the name and i'm going to let you share with our with our audience uh where the name came from its origin yeah so my company is called allative communications um which is, uh, it's not that unpronounceable, but it is a fun conversation starter, um, since it's not a word most people are familiar with. Um, it is actually a uh, 
noun case um, in, in language terms that basically just means um, nouns sometimes take different forms when they're being used in different ways in a sentence. And in some languages, I think it was uh, like Finnish and Romanian, the allative case takes its own form. Um, in English, it, it doesn't, but essentially the allative case expresses motion toward a destination. So something like to the store or, you know, at home, um, you're, and that's and it's the name of my company because I really believe that that's what good communication should do, is that you should be communicating with intent. You should be working toward a destination, a goal. You should be doing whatever it is you're doing with purpose. And I, one thing I found in the nonprofit world is that there's a lot of communications activities that happen in a really perfunctory way. Um, sometimes that's a knowledge gap, sometimes that's a capacity issue. Sometimes people know that they're supposed to be doing things and just sort of don't know how to do them well, but what you end up with is a lot of folks who were just sort of putting out a press release because you're supposed to put out a press release or right. posting on Twitter periodically because someone on the board said, oh, you guys should be on social media and not really knowing why or for whom they're doing that work. And a part of what I bring to my clients is that intent is, you know, whatever the strategies and tactics we're doing, whatever we're executing day to day, whatever the higher level, you know, goals that we're working towards, all of these things need to work together to right. be able to be in service of this mission and to be getting us to get to a destination, not just kind of talking for the sake of it or to check a box. And I, I think that that what resonated with me was when you use the term strategic communications, you know, I, I, I see a lot of organizations out there that communicate, many communicate often, they communicate frequently. The question is how strategic are your communications? How much intentionality are you putting towards the language that you use, the messaging, how frequently the platforms that you're communicating on, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, when we first discussed the, the podcast topic, you know, what really resonates to me, and as many listeners know, I come from a small nonprofit background. Mm -hmm. So when I led nonprofits, uh, both of them were fairly small organizations. Um, but the, the challenge is how do, you, how do you get your message heard on a wider basis. So for many nonprofit organizations, they're addressing really challenging, complicated, complex community issues, and they have a lot to say. It's about how do I get that message out there in a way that people can hear it and in a way that will resonate with audiences. So if you could, maybe let's talk through some of the elements um, that nonprofits should be focusing on in, in harnessing that message. Yeah, I think any good communications operation really needs to start with thinking not only critically, but honestly about what your goals and your audiences are. Um, a lot, so, so many great groups make the mistake of thinking that their audience is the general public, when in all honesty, there, there is no such thing as the general public. Right. Um, you know, maybe if you're the president of the United States or one of a handful of very, very large, very, very established nonprofit groups out there, then you can claim to talk to everybody. But for most of us, you're really talking about very specific subsets of people. And th that can still add up to quite a, quite a few different people in a lot of different categories. But you need to think honestly about who are the people that we're trying to reach and why. What do, what do these different audience segments bring to our organization? Why, do we, you know, why are we prioritizing them to different extents? And then the question really becomes, well, where are they? Right. And for some people, that's you know, local news media. For some people, that's going to be much more primarily online, but again, not in a general public sense, but rather in particular groups, through particular hashtags, different communities that way. Um, for other people, they have kind of their established community, and it's a question of really just maintaining 
relationships with people that they already have. Some organizations are gonna be much more focused on attracting new donors or attracting the attention of policymakers or potential clients and people who they serve. It's, it, it varies a lot with organization, but any good communication strategy is gonna start with being really intentional about who you're trying to reach and why and how. Um, and then in service of what goals. And I think being clear about kind of the, the, the broader high level mission of like what the world that we want to accomplish looks like, right. and then being able to ground that in more specifics of, okay, so, you know, we can't, we're, we're not going to solve poverty in the next fiscal year, but here are things that we can work toward in realistic and meaningful ways. And then how can communications really contribute to that? And in terms of establishing an organization as a thought leader, um, there are a few steps I would definitely take. Um, first of all is, is thinking through a really strong uh, brand and personality. Depending on the organization, that can be you know, the group speaking for itself, um, but in one unified voice. If you have you know, a CEO or executive director who's comfortable in front of a microphone or on a screen, um, you know, that, that's often a natural person. Um, Sometimes organizations are much more based around a particular personality, um, a founder, a, you know, a, a particular donor, something like that. Um, but thinking then about what that personality and that perspective brings to the space that you're in that is unique and compelling and that serves some kind of purpose and some kind of intent that other organizations don't necessarily. Uh, and I, I think every, every group should have, should have that if not figured out, at least be on the way to having had that figured out, because that that's really why you exist uh, and why you're not another organization. Um, it also can be a lot of fun for a group to figure out. I mean, one of the things that I've seen done and facilitated at, at staff retreats, for example, mm -hmm. is helping an organization figure out what is our organizational personality. Everyone yeah. brings a different perspective to that. Um, but I know as the executive director, being able to hear how others on the mm -hmm. team perceive the organization's personality can be really valuable. Yeah, and it, it, it permeates so many other parts of your work too. Um, I know I, when I worked with an organization back in Boston called Empowerment Through Integration, um, they do a lot of really cool work all over the world. Um, and at least at the time, it was sort of segmented under two or three different departments and everyone in the organization knew what they did but didn't really know how to talk about it. And if you asked, someone on the team, even the founder, even people who had been there for years, you know, what does ETI actually do? You would sort of get this medley of, well, we run these really cool summer camps for blind kids in Lebanon, and we do these really interesting, you know, diversity and inclusion facilitations for corporate clients and all this other stuff in between, and our CEO does all this speaking. Um, and it was really hard to see how that added up to this whole organization. Right. And so a lot of my work with them was really drilling down on like, okay, you know, you do all of these activities, but what is the thing that your organization does? Right. And being able to get to the place of, okay, we empower people in these specific ways. And, you know, you do that through programs, but getting to a point of, you know, being able to get all of those things under one centralized umbrella and having that then be authentic to, in that case, the founder and CEO's vision for this organization and the world that she wanted to see, um, and then bringing forth her warmth and her you know, connection with the people that she loved working with, um, really added up to, some, to something beautiful. Um, and I think helped the organization uh, really, get, really get a sense of what they were doing bigger picture and not just 
you know, day-to-day -day program to program. I think one of the common misconceptions that exists about focusing on strategic communications is that it somehow is going to result in a, um, you know, this uniform, this block elevator pitch that everybody has to memorize and recite, when in reality, it's just about identifying goals and audience and some of the key points, how people phrase that, how people verbalize that, there's certainly room for individuality every time I've seen, um, every time I've seen it facilitated and seen it done. But talk about how you, how you balance with groups, um, mm -hmm. that fear of the, you know, the uniform elevator pitch versus, you know, still being able to preserve their individuality and uniqueness. Yeah, um, I think one, one of the things that's really nice about being a solo consultant is that when you're working with me, you're working with me. So I personally am approaching every project individually. Um, and I bring to each project the experience that I have, but at the end of the day, I'm not working off of like a template menu of like things that I offer. It's gonna be a particular project for this particular client. Um, there are definitely like best practices things, um, stuff you'll wanna do differently, stuff you wanna do better, stuff you wanna stop doing or start doing. Um, and those can look kind of similar project to project just because I think everybody can probably improve the language on their website to make it more accessible. And I think most people require some kind of training to be comfortable in front of a video camera or to send out a good press release or whatever else. Um, you know, most of us aren't born knowing how to use Twitter really naturally. Um, but I, I think for each oh organization, <laughs> it, it really comes down to getting the team, especially if they're not communications professionals themselves, to understand the value and the purpose of what strategic communications can do for an organization. Uh, and that can, that can look different with any group, but what I've seen a lot um, in like smaller and startup organizations is that folks are so focused and rightfully so on getting the organization off the ground, getting the programs to work, continuing to raise money, that being able to expand their capacity and their knowledge base and their skill sets, let alone their staff, on these fronts often, if not falls by the wayside, ends up being a secondary concern or kind of a bunch of duties that people are doing because somebody happens to be a good writer and somebody happens to like, you know, enjoys making graphics on Canva to put on Twitter. Uh, and so being able to kind of step up a level and say, okay, so this is where you're at. And if you were taking these steps, here's how communications can help you, you know, get the attention of more donors connect with policymakers, you know, get more media placements, whatever it is you're trying to achieve mm -hmm. with this work. Um, being able to really characterize the value, I think, goes a long way. Um, one of my longer time clients has, has an in-house communication shop, but um, was shorthanded enough that, you know, they had brought me in to really just plug capacity in a lot of places. And it took about a year for one of the people that I worked with closely on the program side to kind of go, oh, this is what you're here for. Because yeah. I spent that year really working toward, you know, I'm not just here to check a box for your board. I'm not right. just here to like, you know, you, you, you tell me something's going on. I send out a press release and that's it. That, you know, I really had to demonstrate that the work that I was doing integrated into every aspect of their programming, but also that, you know, stuff I'm able to do would enhance stuff they wanted to do. So if it was getting more members into a coalition, there's a way that communications can help that. If it is making your publications and your collateral more compelling so people actually read it and engage with it, you know, aspects of communications can help that. If you literally just want like, you know, an abstract of a paper to be more readable, 
like that is all stuff that you know we in this world do and it's it's not always the most intuitive and it's not always the first thing people think of when they think of you know nonprofit work and how to get the message out but it all adds up to this really important whole and being able to show that value um, is, is the best way I found to get that buy-in. And I think that thought leadership, that's really the space that thought leadership can hold is bringing together so many of those different aspects of communications within an organization. So when you talk to, you know, talk to nonprofits, they're communicating with their donors to try to generate more resources. They're mm -hmm. communicating with board members, they're communicating with volunteers, trying to secure new volunteers or staff members. Um, but thought leadership is really the the aspect of the organization, the aspect of communication that brings it all together and enhances that impact. How do you talk to nonprofits about um, moving more intentionally into that thought leadership space? Sometimes people associate that with advocacy or with public mm -hmm. policy, but how do you talk to nonprofits about the, the value of thought leadership? Yeah, I think it really comes back to getting the right people's attention and communicating with them for a specific purpose. So a lot of people are like, okay, I want to be a thought leader. I should apply and do a TED talk or, you know, get an op-ed in the New York times. And those are, those are tactics. Um, and those aren't tactics that are necessarily appropriate for everyone either. You know, if you're running a local horticultural association, you know, be, like being on the TED stage doesn't really do very much, but being in, you know, a regional gardening publication is going to be massive. Um, and so figuring out what the right platforms for your message are and where your audience is, I think is a really big first step. Because a lot of times those platforms are much more accessible than people think. Um, you know, it's going to be hard to get an op-ed in the New York Times. It's often not that hard to get an op-ed in your local paper. Um, or to put something online, whether it's, you know, on a, on a internal blog or medium, um, or getting it on, you know, something like the HuffPost or, or, you know, any num number of other outlets. And from there, you can boost it in social media, in your email newsletter, on your website, on, on, on any other internal communications channels. And these things have lives beyond sort of, you know, one speech or one op-ed or, you know, one event, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and being able to really leverage Getting, getting the right message to the right people and then letting that permeate outward, I think is, is really where thought leadership starts. Because um, every one of these organizations is gonna have something to say and something to offer. And it's a question of making sure that the right people are getting that message. So you mentioned platforms like Medium that are out there that are, that are, that are designed because they're seeking content. Mm -hmm. um, how can nonprofits more effectively engage with platforms like a Medium? Yeah, so one of the interesting things about Medium in particular is that it's a great way to gain sort of general visibility for from everyone on that site. But at the end, you want to make sure that you're still using it for getting traffic to your own platforms and your own website. Um, so a lot of thinking about how to use that well, I think, is integrating it with your own content. Um, so, you know, putting a post up there, but making sure that the action item is going to get them back to your website or to a petition where you can collect email addresses um, that you're linking to all of your social feeds so that people can, you know, continue to follow you there, signing up for your newsletter or whatever else it is. Um, I think all of these, all of these platforms and, you know, outputs you can do are really tactics that add up to a larger strategy of getting your, not just your name out there, but your ideas and the arguments that you're making. Um, and, and continuing to do that in, you know, it's, it's great if you have a particular channel that you're good at, 
Um, a lot of people do really like Twitter after a time. Um, again, Medium can be great if you have sort of longer thoughts. But all of these, you have to be working in a, in a few different places and all of these things have to be adding up to some coherent whole and some, co you know, singular case that you're making for the whole what is greater than the sum of the parts. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And you want to be adding up to, to this idea of what the world can be and right. how the people who, you know, are with you on that can help bring that about. And if they're not with you, what do they need to get with, to get on your team? One of the uh, final questions I have is around overcoming resistance. You know, mm -hmm. I know in working with, I, I work extensively with nonprofit boards. Mm -hmm. um, I know that often when they hear thought leadership or they hear things mm -hmm. like an op-ed in the newspaper, um, mm -hmm. there's some trepidation. There's some fear of, are we going to potentially alienate some supporters? Are we taking a step too far? How do you address some of that? resistance, reluctance, whatever you want to call it, um, and then move past it? Sure. I mean, per personally, my first thought in, in those cases is always just if you don't stand for any, like, if, if you're not taking a stand, then you don't stand right. for anything. And if you don't stand for anything, why are you in mission-driven work? Um, also, so much of the nonprofit world isn't actually that controversial. You know, if you're, if you're running a local horticultural society, if you're running yeah. a soup kitchen, if you're um, like my client I mentioned, if you're running a, a camp for kids with visual impairments in Lebanon, like these aren't controversial things. And there is a, there, there, well, not even a way, there are many ways to be able to step forward and say, this is what we do. This is what we think the world can be like. This is how we can get there. And this is what we need your help to do without really inviting real controversy unless, you know, somebody has an issue with like the concept of charity, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, for organizations that have more of a political bent or that do have kind of something more specific baked in, into what they do. First of all, if, if you're not ready to stand up and say, you know, we believe in this and this is why, and this is why you should join us, you know, why are, why are you doing what you're doing to begin with? Um, and second of all, like the, that concern about, you know, uh, institutional disagreements, like that's why you have a clearance process. That's why it's not just the CEO kind of scribbling off thoughts off the top of their head and hitting send to a newspaper editor. That's why you have, you know, a communications director or somebody on a communications committee on the board or whatever the particular structure in a particular organization is set up is so that, you know, you don't want too many cooks in the kitchen because then you just end up with something bland and meaningless, but having a group of people working together to get that message out in the right ways, in a way that really represents the organization and can be thoughtful about how they're doing that. You know, it, that, that's how you get really great results. And I think particularly in this day and age when we are all, you know, rightfully talking much more about diversity and equity and inclusion, having a few different voices in the room to be thinking about how this can be received and who's gonna be receiving it is, is so important. And I think when an organization does step out on that limb a bit, it changes, it can change the public's perception of the value that that organization brings to Absolutely. the community. You know, they become not just an organization that provides a direct service, for example, or that um, does, you know, runs a particular program, but they can be seen as an organization that um, elevates the community consciousness or yeah. and brings together various stakeholders of different yeah. perspectives. It's, it's a way to just shape um, how the organization is viewed by the public as a whole. Yeah, and I mean, and that's a case that I would make to, you know, internal or, or board member skeptics 
is that this is this is something that's going to advance the organization that's going to advance its goals that's going to advance the causes that it cares about um one thing when i worked at axion that i mentioned the the microfinance organization um, they were at a really interesting time when i was there because this organization had been around for about 50 years primarily running microfinance banks all over the world they had started in latin america and expanded really globally they had a u.s operation and that and they did that work really beautifully um, and the CEO that I came in under, um, and I was his you know, speechwriter, uh, communication specialist, um, kind of looked at that and said, we do this really well, and this is all really important, but you know, each, each of these banks individually isn't gonna add up to but so much if we don't have this broader financial world that can work with the kinds of people that we're trying to reach. And so in the time that I was there, they really expanded into not just microfinance, but this broader financial inclusion space that involved everything from doing, you know, seed and angel funding towards startups that had really cool ideas around inclusive banking to, um, you know, conferences and events to engaging different coalition partners. And it was a really exciting thing to see because you had this organization that had you know, been doing very well, but had been doing this kind of dry financial work for a long time, really stepping up and saying, okay, you know, we're providing value to people directly in this way, but we want to see this broader world change in these really, in these really specific and really possible ways that right. were also then really exciting. Right. Well, Allison, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. If anyone has further questions or wants to reach out to you directly, how can they get a hold of you? Sure. Um, all my contact information is on my website, and that's allativecommunications.com. And probably should have spelled this out earlier when you mentioned the hard to pronounce, but that's A-L-L-A-T-I-V-E, communications with an S, dot com. Um, again, I'm Allison Bernstein, and um, this was such a pleasure to get to chat with you. Allison, it's been a pleasure having you join us. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Again, Allison from Allative Communications. Um, this has been Greg Nielsen, Nonprofit Vision uh, Podcast. Appreciate everybody listening and all the comments that we've received and, and ideas for future podcast episodes. Stay tuned and stay well, everybody.